they have the power. They have the power to press the buttons, to allow actions to take place, the culture to take place. They are the ones who give the resources and give the funding for different programs and projects and hiring. They just have so much power and it can be negative power or it can be positive power. And my goal is to really touch the hearts and minds of those leaders just to help them realize that positive power can make a huge difference. And so when we're thinking about this space of microaggressions, does your culture inside your team, does your culture inside the organization, allow for such behaviors when it is noticed? Does your culture proactively highlight what the microaggressions might be where we might think we're being helpful? Are we as leaders in the organization uncovering what microaggressions actually are in practice day to day for all the different populations inside our workplace? And then are we then making very clear that once we've told you and educated you, that they are not at all acceptable and that they'll be reflected on performance reviews, on raises. So it's like a full circle. And what are you doing as a leader? I'm your host, Michelle King, joined by Kelly Thompson, and you're listening to The Fix, a podcast that shares the stories of remarkable people who are innovating and taking action to advance equality in the workplace and beyond. Psychological safety is a term coined and defined by Harvard Business School professor Amy Edmondson. People feel psychologically safe at work when they believe they can be themselves and they won't be punished or humiliated for sharing their identity, speaking up, sharing their ideas, asking questions, revealing their concerns or admitting when they've made a mistake. In short, psychological safety is how comfortable people feel with being themselves, taking risks, and being vulnerable with their team. Having a diverse workforce most certainly does not guarantee that everyone in your workplace feels comfortable or valued for who they are. One of the quickest ways to erode psychological safety is microaggressions, which are the indirect or unintentional expressions of racism, sexism, ageism, and ableism. Like asking to touch a black colleague's hair, pushing a person's wheelchair without asking them, or telling women to smile. All of these examples are forms of discrimination that come out in seemingly innocuous comments by people who might be completely unaware of the impact that these comments have. It's not just the one-off comment that has the greatest impact. Rather, it's the compounded effect of working in an environment day in and day out where you have to be on alert for where the next comment might be coming from. This is what has the greatest detrimental impact on people's mental and emotional well-being because it sends the message that they don't belong. Microaggressions have been described as death by a thousand cuts. Most of us have experienced or witnessed them. In fact, a 2019 survey by Glassdoor of over a thousand employees in the United States found that 61% of men and women had witnessed or experienced workplace discrimination based on age, race, gender, or LGBTQIA identity. Given the widespread nature of microaggressions, on today's episode, Heather Younger, international speaker, consultant, adjunct organizational leadership professor, and author of The Art of Caring Leadership, will share how we can manage microaggressions when they happen and build a workplace where people can be themselves. We've all heard people say things like, but where are you really from? Or you're so articulate, you speak really well. Or you're so young to be a manager. 
These are all examples of microaggressions, daily comments or questions that have a discriminatory undertone, even if that isn't the intent. Many of us will have also been on the receiving end of microaggressions, but that doesn't always make us immune. The uncomfortable truth is that most of us will have made comments like these at some point, though we might not have realised it or intended any offence. But microaggressions matter. They matter on an individual level, on a cultural level, and they also matter legally. The Equality Act in the UK outlaws discrimination and harassment on grounds of protected characteristics, including race, age and sex. Behaviour can amount to unlawful harassment in some cases, even where it was innocently intended, because the law is more interested in the impact felt by the individual who's on the receiving end. So a serious microaggression can itself be unlawful, and a culture which is permissive even of lower-level microaggressions is fertile ground where discrimination can grow. Here Heather shares what microaggressions are and why they are painful. Microaggressions are kind of these slights that happen. They don't just happen at work, but they happen everywhere. People, I say perpetrate, it's kind of hard to talk about these, but they are perpetrators against people who, for example, like a, a person of color or someone who's disabled. And so they are just these slights, these actions, these words, these underlying things that people say. And often they realize it and often they don't realize it. It could be touching someone's hair uh, when they're an African-American woman, for example. This is a big one for us. We hate it. Oh, your hair is so nice or it's so different. It could be being in a team meeting with someone who's Asian and saying, oh, you, you must want us to get Asian food. Or in a meeting for someone who's, let's say it's a black man in a meeting and you decide that you want to speak up for him because maybe he has like a Southern accent. So you start to speak up for him as if he doesn't have a voice. There's a whole bunch of those kinds of little things that add up to provide a lot of hurt to people at work. It's interesting. In the work we do at Employee Fanatics, we talk a lot to employees in the DEI space. And what I've found when we're looking at race, the microaggressions, they're more elevated. They're more undermining to just being a human inside of the workplace. There's a lot of pain and hurt and a sense of betrayal to a certain extent of who they are as just people walking around the planet. And it's not just like in between coworkers, but if you have a customer facing side of your business, like a customer saying something like, let's say to a Latina, I don't want to talk to them or, oh, what country are you from? Or do your people speak English? Like those are the kind of things the customers might say to them and how we around them who are either allies with them, who don't look like them, don't share the little experience, or we do our managers or whatever. It's how we respond to those slights that are happening all over the place. It's like little stabs with a knife is what happens on the racial side. One of the things that really has popped out to me a lot more because I've been talking again to the different groups, including those with unseen disabilities, is that if you can't see that, like the microaggressions aren't as obvious unless you start to reveal them, right? But with us, it's something that is seen, like I said, little nice slices, little slice, 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 slices that are happening all the time. So the pain just kind of is ongoing. Leaders are the culture of an organization. Every day they get to decide who is on their team and what behaviors will be rewarded, endorsed, accepted, or called out. Leaders are the ones in positions of power and privilege to manage microaggressions and use these moments as opportunities for individuals to learn about difference and different lived experiences. We need to hold leaders accountable for the cultures they create. Here, Heather shares more on why leaders play a critical role in managing microaggressions. They have the power. 
They have the power to press the buttons, to allow actions to take place, the culture to take place. They are the ones who give the resources and give the funding for different programs and projects and hiring. They just have so much power and it can be negative power or it can be positive power. And my goal is to really touch the hearts and minds of those leaders just to help them realize the positive power can make a huge difference. And so when we're thinking about this space of microaggressions, does your culture inside your team, does your culture inside the organization allow for such behaviors when it is noticed? Does your culture proactively highlight what the microaggressions might be where we might think we're being helpful? Are we as leaders in the organization uncovering what microaggressions actually are in practice day to day for all the different populations inside our workplace? And then are we then making very clear that once we've told you and educated you, that they are not at all acceptable and that they'll be reflected on performance reviews, on raises. So it's like a full circle. And what are you doing as a leader? Microaggressions can also show up in borderline jokes or comments, which are often seen as acceptable forms of office banter. But when women receive unwanted physical compliments, it reduces perceptions of women's competency. Or when a male co-worker is mocked for picking up his kids, it reinforces the idea that somehow domestic and childcare responsibilities are less than. These are just some of the ways we risk making all employees feel unwelcome irrespective of whether they directly witness or experience inequality, because microaggressions are really effective at quietly polluting the air in a workplace. The key for leaders is to be intentional about creating psychologically safe work environments. Leaders can do this by making it safe for employees to call out microaggressions when they happen. Leaders can also role model the behaviours that employees need to engage in to respond effectively when these moments are called out. That way, everyone can learn and share in the responsibility. Here, Heather shares how leaders can create psychologically safe environments. When you think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which I think a lot of people are really familiar with, when we think about that first level of like the food and shelter, water, and then you go to that next level and you see safety. And then the next level above that is belonging, desire to be included. So you have these levels that go up. Those first two levels are hypercritical. And what happens is that organizational leaders, they don't really realize how much of a hand they have in those first two levels. So you think about the food, water, shelter. Well, you don't have that unless you have a job. And so your leader is the one who hires you or terminates you or threatens you. All these things that happen that really can affect that base level when you get up to safety. And this idea of safety, there is obviously the physical space, physical safety, a mental, emotional safety, making sure that you feel comfortable speaking up. But what I've been finding, particularly after the George Floyd stuff that happened in the U.S. and all the other unfortunate things that have happened, obviously over the years, but just since then, is that organizations, organizational leaders are getting really frustrated because they're like, okay, well, we're jumping on the bandwagon. We are going to create a roundtable where all employees can come talk and we want you to come share and we want you to come tell us the truth. Well, there's two things. I'm not sure they're prepared for the truth and what are they going to do about it. But at the same time, they're frustrated because they don't realize they haven't built a foundation of trust and respect, which is required for the safe space to take place. Safe space would be, you know, where are you sitting? So there's safe space, like a physical space, but the space to be like, I'm comfortable speaking up in this group, that I'm not going to be ridiculed. I'm not going to be fired. I'm not going to be made fun of, whatever it is. All these things are not going to happen because here is a place where I can speak my truth. I can make sure that the people around me are respecting what that truth is. So that's why it's so important. For example, if you're in that group and you're in that round table discussion with the leaders and all these team members, and you bring up that a lot of customers have been making fun of your Mexican culture, or they've been saying these different things about your language barriers, all these different things that you are hearing inside the workplace. What are you going to do about that? 
What are you prepared to do about that? I always say you have to have a listening strategy. So that safe space means what is our strategy to take all of the inputs of what we're hearing in this space, process what it is that we're hearing, act upon it, and then let everyone know what we're going to do. So are we going to be changing our policies around reporting, you know, prejudice discrimination inside the workplace? After we do that, how do we do a full circle loop with the team member who reported that these microaggressions are taking place? Because microaggressions by themselves aren't, from like an EEOC perspective, one by one by one, considered discrimination. It's the compound effect over time, particularly like if it's in the workplace, it's coworkers, it's managers, it's the compound effect over time that can then be made a case for kind of a discrimination case. But other than that, it's actually just more hurtful. It minimizes the ability to feel safe at work. A lot of the DEI consulting work I do is with all white male leadership teams. And I'm often told by men that they're petrified of saying the wrong thing and getting called out or canceled. For some reason, a lot of DEI work has become about policing rather than enabling. Advancing equality isn't about policing yourself. Rather, the aim is to know how to respond when you misstep, because you will. We're all on a journey when it comes to equality, and we're going to make mistakes. The key to moving on from these moments is to learn from them. These moments are a gift, because if leaders manage these moments well, then there are opportunities for the whole organization to learn. I had a a gentleman call me the other day and he said one of his friends, who happened to be a white male, had attended a training and he was going to the training in advance of trying to refer training to a large customer of his. He wanted to kind of sniff test it before he referred them. Well, he went to that training and it happened to be a training that felt very exclusionary and felt like they were, I call it white lashing, but it was like they were just like beating down white people. And when he left, he was like, oh my God, he just had a, an allergic reaction. And of course he's a white male. So in many of these cases, it's already going to feel awkward, but I don't think it needs to feel like you've been beaten, like you've been punched in the chest, punched in the gut after you've left a session like that. So I just wanted to kind of say that I told him that I said, you know, there are some truths. So I'm sure to what the person was saying, the history is real the experiences are different. My lived experience is different. His experience is different. I made it very clear. Our experiences are not the same, no matter where I'm at in my stature in life. But in the end, I'm not there to beat them. I'm there to enlighten them and to uplift them. So going back to this conversation of someone saying something and they misstep, I automatically come from a place of knowing that there's a lack of awareness. So I know they have a lack of awareness, a lack of understanding. So since they don't know better, my role is to say, did you realize what you just said was actually offensive? And they'll be like, well, well, what What do you mean? And then I can go into the whole explanation of why that might be and then explain to them how they could maybe say it differently next time. So for me, my personal position, given my background, I always want to come to the center. I want to be the person who's the enlightenment, encouragement, and to uplift them and empower them to show up better next time, which is what this book is about. It's not about perfection. It's about you stumble, you fall. How do you show up better next time? I don't want to cancel you. I want to give you the tools. 
I want to give you the strategies on how to do that differently. I wouldn't think to push someone's wheelchair, but I may do something. I stopped doing that many years ago, but I remember I would like open a door. I would do something without someone asking me for that, right? That is an innocent mistake. Once they inform me that that is something that's like, I can sense it's not right. I'm paying attention to their body language. It's not right. Then I'd be like, oh my gosh, I'm horrified. I'm so sorry that I offended you. Can you tell me next time if I wanted to be helpful, what should I do? And I would be very inquisitive and super open. And that's how I would coach the other person to take the stance too. Finally, Heather shares how we can respond when microaggressions play out as we continue to build workplaces that work for everyone. My view is like, I'm going to help you. I'm going to hopefully help you see it through my actions. And I'm going to give you grace to know that you're not perfect and to know that you have your own journey that you're on of accepting who you are, accepting how your community sees you. That's not my cross to bear. That's not my journey to take with you. My journey is my journey to take. And I think if we stand in our shoes that way on this topic and then say, I can have empathy for you. I can give you grace for what you just said to me or what you failed to say to me, but then accept the fact that you can give what you can give to me. And maybe you can't give me anymore. And that's okay. I can't hold that against you because we're all humans and we're on a journey. So I just wanted to give that as a foundation that most people are kind of baffled even just by that position where I'm at. And I see microaggressions as an entire human issue. We have a lack of awareness of where people are coming from. We don't have the ability to step outside our own lenses, which are narrow, our own experiences, which again, are very limited. And to say, okay, let me put myself really, let me take myself out, like just step out and look at myself and what I've just done and what I failed to do from the other person's side. And when we don't do that, that's when we get ourselves in a whole heck of a lot of trouble. Step outside your darn lens, get into the lens of another person. Then we can move towards looking at creating a more equal world for sure. Microaggressions are so commonplace because often we're unaware that we're saying something that's offensive to someone else. Here's the bad news. Sometimes you are going to say the wrong thing. The key isn't to police yourself and others. The key is for each of us to confront our biases and prejudice with curiosity, compassion and humility. According to Culture Amp, if you find yourself in a situation where someone has given you feedback on something you've said, there are key steps you can take to respond in an appropriate way. These include firstly, listen to the person's concerns. Do your best to understand the impact you had on someone else and avoid saying you didn't mean it or that you were making a joke. Saying something was a joke can come across as making light of someone else's pain. By saying you didn't mean it, you can come across as trying to invalidate the other person's experience. Second, verbally acknowledge that their feelings are valid and underscore that it wasn't your intention, but you understand that it created a negative impact. Third, apologise, but do your best to not make it about your needing forgiveness. You might not get it, and that's okay. And finally, try to let it go and move on. These things happen, and it's important to remember that we're human and we make mistakes. It's easy to hyper-focus on it every time you see that person, but that won't help anyone. Thank you for tuning in today. Before you go, just a quick reminder to check out the 100 Actions for Equality campaign, which provides you with 100 actions that you can take every day to create a more equal working world. This includes how to tackle microaggressions. Please visit 100actionsforequality.com.
Thank you for tuning into our episode. If you're interested in partnering with us or being a guest on the show, then please reach out through our website, thefixpodcast.org. You can also sign up to our monthly newsletter and contribute your story there. Thanks again, and I'll catch you all again next week.